0: Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast, I'm Forrest Hansen. Today we're beginning the 10th strength in our year-long series, Courage. I've got a bit of an anxious personality by nature, so I'm familiar with feeling nervous, or even afraid, about threats to my physical safety. But I've been caused much more anxiety by my interpersonal relationships with other people. I think that's true for many of us. Together with Intimacy, this series of episodes will focus on building fundamental skills for relating with others. We need to have courage to assert ourselves when necessary, set clear boundaries, and say the things we need to say in order to repair our relationships. So today we're going to begin that strength by focusing on what I think is truly one of the toughest things to do in a vulnerable, intimate relationship. Speaking from the heart with self-respect and skill. To help us do that, I'm joined today by Dr. Rick Hansen. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Um as you know forrest, uh I'm in New York right now and you're in California. And uh We've had to manage some of the technical issues here. So if there's a little funniness in the sound, uh, that's why.
0: Great, yeah. So to help frame this conversation and just kind of diving into it, what do you mean when you say speaking from the heart? And right. why is it such an important skill for healthy relationships?
1: Yeah, well, I mean it really in general. Uh, there's a It's a touching way to put it, speaking from the heart. But here, I mm-hmm. hope we can really explore ways to communicate skillfully about difficult things. It's easy to communicate skillfully about easy things. Please pass the salt. But to actually talk about something <laughs> challenging, then you, need, then you need to bring more of your A-game. And this is uh, an extremely important topic for me personally because I feel like I landed in, a, in adulthood bottled up and editing out and censoring probably 99% of what I really thought and felt and wanted, and so for me, there was mm-hmm. a real journey to learn how to uh, reclaim my own interior by uh, speaking it, by naming it to other people, and find ways mm-hmm. to actually uh, talk more genuinely and sometimes more strongly with other people to push through the in, the inhibitions, the kind of internal muzzling I had learned or acquired in my own childhood. So this for me has been mm-hmm. a very profound path of healing and Moving into happiness to learn how to deliver my undelivered communications and uh, and to speak more from my own heart with other people.
0: I think there are probably some very implicit ways in which speaking from the heart can support a relationship. But just to kind of make those implicit elements explicit, mm-hmm. uh, would you mind sharing some of them? Some of the value that just speaking openly and vulnerably with another person can bring to a relationship.
1: Well, the first way to relate to that question is to feel the weight of the unsaid so if you think about any kind of important relationship with a friend a child a parent co-worker a teacher a boss think about the weight of what you really haven't said to that person and that weighs us down and it's like a stone in our heart also what we are unwilling to say uh, unwisely. I mean, it's important, obviously, that we're not saying here that we should just dump our feelings and our beliefs on other people routinely. But if you think about mm-hmm. the what could be said if it were said skillfully and yet is not said, uh, mm-hmm. that tends to bound and shrink the actual scale of what's possible in an important relationship. So that's the first mm-hmm. reason. Uh, the second is that, If we are to get what we need with other people, uh, we need to let them know. We need to be able to talk about it unless they're incredibly perfect mind readers. And I don't think there are that many of those folks on the planet. Uh, (laughs) People don't always know what we really want. Or maybe there's a disagreement or there's a misunderstanding. And if we can't find ways to to resolve issues and negotiate solutions to problems in just ordinary ways, Mm -hmm. then that's going to be bad for us as well. The last thing I would just say is that there's a missed opportunity. A lot of the ways that Mm. we discover our truth is by speaking it live in the moment. Uh, It's a process. Mm. And if we're not able to uh, feel our experience while we share it, it's harder to really know your own experience. So I know for myself that some of the ways that I've really discovered what's true inside me is through... Uh, being more open about it and just talking and taking kind of taking off the censorship filter and just saying it. And then I think the last thing is that when we demonstrate open, authentic communication ourselves, that invites others to do the same. And then as they become more authentic and real in the relationship, that has direct value for us too.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think that makes a lot of sense to me to just kind of add something very Mm-hmm. Very sort of simple and and maybe a little obvious on top of it, I think that it's easy when we talk about something like speaking from the heart with another person mm-hmm. to immediately gravitate mentally towards the things that we're bothered by right you know um i this is my undelivered communication about how you're not meeting my needs in some way, but it's actually just as problematic long term for a relationship when we don't feel comfortable telling somebody else the things that we really like and appreciate about them. That is very, very true. And I think that a lot of people, to gender it a little bit, I think particularly men, often Mm. have a kind of hard time having that, you know, I love you man moment with another Mm. person because we're just not really acculturated to speaking that way with other people. And that can be just as much of an experience of kind of bottling up as reserving the grievances that we have with another person.
1: That's a great point for us to include that. That's great.
0: Yeah, thank you. So I think that's a good place to start, some of the value that speaking from the heart brings to a relationship. To flip it around a little bit, it's really hard to speak from the heart. There are a lot of challenges that accompany it. It takes a lot of courage to do so, and it feels extremely vulnerable. Uh, to kind of systemize it a little bit, I feel like there are kind of three big categories of risks mm. that accompany speaking from the heart. The first is just sort of our general fear of opening up and being emotionally vulnerable in front of another person. Yeah, This can be really challenging. It's an absolutely big part of the puzzle. But we've covered developing internal resources of various kinds that can kind of help manage this a number of times throughout the podcast. So I think that we can mostly kind of set that one to the side and refer to some of our previous episodes. The second fear is that what we say might hurt the relationship, Mm -hmm. um, not be accepted by the other person or otherwise, quote unquote, it'll just make things worse. Mm. And then the third and final one is the fear of kinds of physical or interpersonal danger we would like to pretend that this isn't the case, but it's the sad reality that violence or the threat of it shadows many relationships. Right. And a different sort of danger is your words being used against you in the future, either to kind of twist the knife from somebody else or in a literal, like legal context sort of way sometimes for these sorts of things.
1: Yeah. I've seen that, especially for example, with uh, families going through a divorce process sometimes, uh, they're mm. just, mm-hmm. which is not uncommon. So To be really clear here, just like you're saying, which is great, uh, there's a place for appropriate caution.
0: Absolutely. So let's start with managing physical or emotional danger. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is in a particularly challenging situation with regards to those elements, is there anything that you would recommend to them?
1: The classic advice is to first establish safety before trying to, quote unquote, process inside the relationship. And there are many resources Mm -hmm. for physical and emotional safety. Uh, You can Mm -hmm. call hotlines at any time, 24 hours a day, that are accessible. Uh, There are shelters. Uh, If it's more of a slow simmer rather than some immediate horrible crisis, uh, talk with a Mm -hmm. trusted counselor. Uh, Talk with uh, Mm -hmm. perhaps a minister even a friend, especially a friend who will not make things worse, but will actually make them mm. better. Uh, as we've talked about in terms of the evolution of the brain, starting with our ancient reptilian brainstem, first and foremost, we really, really, really need to get out of danger. And I think sometimes people can, uh, as a lot of research shows on you know domestic abuse of uh, various kinds, people can somehow blame themselves and think that they're responsible for being annoying or not saying things the right way or doing the dishes the right way or something like that. But in fact, I don't care how annoying I am, no one ever is justified in threatening or using violence against me. And so, and I would say mm. that for people in general. So that's a very important thing. You're really entitled to safety. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of an add-on to that is... Be careful about a kind of uh, innocence. Uh, I was in situations uh, when I was younger in business with somebody where I just was overly trusting. And I didn't read the signs that, no, this person did not relate to me as my parent, that actually this person was perfectly prepared to break their agreements with me and in significant and financially consequential ways. So there can be this kind of childlike longing for for a just world. You know, it's very understandable, and yet the world is not always just, Uh, and recognizing the truth of what other people uh, are capable of and what their deep intentions are uh, is is important as a way to kind of become disenchanted in a healthy sense of that word and come out of uh, what could be an overly childlike or trusting, naive innocence with other people. Mm -hmm.
0: Great. Yeah, no, I think that's a great place to start. It's one thing to sort of be afraid that you'll be misunderstood or that something will land the wrong way. And and it's quite another thing to be afraid that you'll be mistreated for what you might say when you start to speak openly. And that second category is, you know, I think very clearly the one where you need to take sort of more hardcore interventions and mm-hmm. really uh, take whatever steps are necessary to protect yourself if yeah, something is right. going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right.
1: And again, in terms of sort of waking up from the dream of innocence uh, and the longing yeah, for a just world, is to realize mm-hmm. that if a, if another person did it once, they could do it again.
0: Mm-hmm. Never forget that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I mean, I, we're going to talk more in this podcast about forgiveness and mm-hmm. different kinds of forgiveness. And forgiveness is a wonderful and beautiful thing in the world, and I would never want to push somebody away from it. But I do think that there are some things where uh, it is a little bit of a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. And we do sometimes need to kind of look at things with very clear eyes and just take whatever steps are necessary in the moment. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're going to spend a little bit more time on the next category of concerns that what we say when we speak from the heart could damage the relationship, be received very poorly, be misinterpreted. Or be rejected by the other person. So how can we kind of set the stage for speaking from the heart? So we avoid that mm.
1: I think the first thing is to know for yourself What you see what you value and what you want in other words know for mm. yourself your own truth truth in quotes here, but uh, Your own truth sure your truth can evolve and your own uh, view about the truth of object or reality is is limited and partial and fallible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is that much of the time, especially if we take a little time with ourselves, and perhaps in talking with a trusted ally or friend or counselor, we can really see what's true. The truth is, let's say, mm-hmm. that our partner keeps saying that they will come home in time for dinner, but they just don't do that. Or the partner listens to us and kind of nods and says, yeah, all right, I'll be more romantic from now on. Or all right, I'll help with the kids more from now on. Or, oh, all right, I'll start coming to work you know, more on time. And the truth is they just don't do it. Or they say, uh, let, uh, oh, I'll stop interrupting you so much, but they keep interrupting you. So know what mm. you see, know what you feel, know what you care about. You know, clarify that for yourself. And one of the things that, that has helped me a lot in doing that is I'll take little notes, even prepping for a difficult conversation. Um, I will write down keywords I want to use or key phrases, or I'll, I want to remind myself of, of how I want to approach the interaction or what I, what is important for me to keep in mind, including the things that I'm in a healthy sense entitled for. So that's all ways of help yourself really be on solid ground, especially uh, mm-hmm. the more challenging the interaction. Uh, if it's a really casual comment in passing with a good friend who's really trustworthy, no big deal. But if it's a big mm-hmm. issue, it's really important in general, which is a constant uh, recurring theme in this podcast. It's important to scale up resources to the level of the challenge. And if this is a mm-hmm. challenging relationship, if there are stakes are high, Uh, if you think you're about to move into an interaction that could really go off the rails, uh, you need to scale up resources for that. And those resources include really getting it together, how you feel and what you think and what you know your rights are.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense that before we enter a potentially challenging interaction with another person, we want to be really clear about what we feel in our hearts. Um, I've certainly often had the experience with other people, where they bring a contention to you or a critique to you, but it's sort of fuzzy what the exact critique right. is, and it's kind of buried in a word cloud, and yeah. you feel like there's something that's more true that's kind of hiding underneath the surface, maybe mm-hmm. disguised by the surface complaint. And in those circumstances, even if you want to open somebody to uh, that, even if you want to open to somebody else when they're speaking from the heart, it can be very challenging to do so. So clarify inside your own mind what what your actual viewpoint is. I think that that's a huge one. Yeah, prep to prevail. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. What I mean by prevailing is, of course, not dominating the other person or beating them. Everything we're talking about here is in this larger context of what we've covered, including things like unilateral virtue. But what I mean is, it really helps... To be clear in your own mind what your results are that you're aiming for. Mm. That's part of knowing your mm-hmm. own truth. Like I said, what do you see? What do you value? Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, sometimes the mm-hmm. result, in fact, often the result you're aiming for is you just want to go on record. You know, it would be great if, if they saw the light and just everything changed and buttercups and mm-hmm. chocolate showered down upon you. But realistically, <laughs> often the best you could do is to know that they know that you know that they know what you really said and that's that's within your control too that's what you can actually accomplish with other people you just want to feel as dan siegel memorably puts it you want to feel felt by them okay Mm -hmm. that's your outcome but what is your outcome that that is what quote unquote prevailing looks like and then prep to prevail in the context that i'm using here
0: Mm -hmm. makes total sense so prep to prevail. Now, is there a second recommendation that you would give?
1: I think it's really helpful to move up to what we, Shrinks, call the process level, Mm. in which, in a sense, you're getting ready to talk about talking. This is a notion Mm. that we've explored before. And uh, it, it, or more generally, to move to a place where you are prepared to comment on process. And process is distinct from content. It's distinct from the substance of what people are saying in terms of the specific information itself, or what they're asserting actually happened, or what they want, or the agreement they'd like to make for the future. Oh, that's great. But process uh, is the way in which people communicate, and the ways in which the sort of interactive volley, back and forth, back and forth, of a relationship proceeds. And if You have good process, you're going to get good product. If you have bad product, Mm -hmm. it really helps to work backwards and get better at process. So I'm a big fan of process. Of course, I'm a therapist, right? But just I've seen it again and again, including in business environments. If you've got good process, you're probably going to end up in a good place. So getting good at process is really useful. So it's really helpful to be able to say to somebody, hey, I just want to slow it down here and kind of comment on what I see happening here if you're going to talk about process, if you're going to comment on process, that's a real power move. Uh, And you've got to be careful about it. And I've been on the receiving end, uh, I bet you have two for us, of people who kind of adopt this sort of knowing, I know how good process ought to be stance. That's really annoying. And and it can be used as a way to dominate and in effect, talk about process in order to corrupt process. So I've got to be very careful about that. But in a healthy Mm -hmm. way, to reserve the right to comment on what's actually happening uh, and to comment Mm -hmm. also on what you feel in the middle of what's happening, I think that's a really important capability to reserve to yourself to have.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And as you're saying, anyone who avoids talking about talking... I just think that that's a big red flag in most relationships. And there's this great line that you had in the book Resilient, which I really enjoyed, which was that good relationships are based on good interactions, and it's hard for a relationship to improve if its interactions don't. That's right. A lot of the time, what I think kind of happens in our relationships is that we bottle up the things that really bother us. Yeah. And when we finally do unleash them, they're this flood that kind of flows out of us really without any kind of consideration for process or for the other person or for whatever. And the irony in this is that that's the absolute worst way to actually get those concerns to be addressed by the other human you're in a relationship with. Yeah, and so if you're not willing to take a step back Analyze your truth and then figure out, okay, what's sort of the best way to approach this with another person where we can kind of both create a safe container for us to have this interaction? Mm -hmm. If you're if you're unable to do that, your odds of success just go way down. So I think that that's just a huge part of the whole thing as a kind of addendum to that. Sometimes, I mean, you don't want to be lawyerly with somebody else, but if you're really about to walk into a real conversation with somebody where you both know that you're going to be unpacking some stuff, Mm -hmm. setting some kind of basic ground rules is not a bad idea. Setting the ground rule of, we're both going to basically talk for about the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. That's a really good ground rule. Um, Some other obvious ground rules could be something like not yelling or making threats, not bringing up a major issue when you're intoxicated. Yeah. Um, not screaming at each other in front of the kids, just sort of the very basic stuff like that can really improve the likelihood of a conversation going well.
1: That's great. I've actually known couples uh, that would post house rules on their refrigerator, mm, mm-hmm. and uh, they would do it for the kids as, but as well as for the grown-ups. Or let's say couples that didn't have kids, they would just uh, would put these basic principles up on the refrigerator, sometimes because they would write them out and they would actually really agree to them. I've known people who mm-hmm. really transformed their relationship when they did that. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, it's, uh, it's great to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's say that we've, we've set the stage. We've talked mm-hmm. about the talking. We've done our best to make sure that the situation is you know, fundamentally safe, as safe as it can reasonably be. And now we're in that moment with the other person. We're having a potentially challenging conversation. Mm. What can we do inside the moment of that conversation? to kind of maximize the chances that things go well when we speak from the heart.
1: Yeah, I'm going to move through a sort of personal checklist for us. One, know what your walkaway is. Know what mm-hmm. your line in the sand is that's a real line in the sand. Um, it's not a warning about the line in the sand, although that's fine too, but it's the actual line in the sand. That if the other person starts speaking to you in a certain kind of way uh, or certain topics get uh, brought up or, and you're getting pounded with them, you're just prepared to disengage from the conversation. Uh, you might disengage mm-hmm. in a very polite way. You might make up an excuse. So oh, I've just got to go now. Or you might just say, hey, if you talk with, to me like that uh, one more time, I'm walking out the door or I'm hanging up the phone. I'm driving away. Something like that. Know what your walkaway is in a paradoxical sense. If you know, it goes back to that theme about autonomy as a foundation of intimacy. If you know what your line in the sand is, then the safety in that and the comfort in knowing that uh, gives you support for being more open and vulnerable with other people. And if they exploit your vulnerability, if they abuse it, you know what your exit strategy is. So that's one point. Mm -hmm. Second really useful distinction comes from the work of Deborah Tannen. Uh, Her classic is You Just Don't Understand. She had a co-author, I want to send respect there, but unfortunately I'm blanking on his name. In any case, she makes a wonderful distinction between conversations that are really about sharing experiences, distinct from conversations that are about solving problems. Now, in one conversation, you can have multiple conversations in effect, and it's okay if there's a natural flow of sharing your feelings or what you think about something or how something affected you, flowing together with trying to work out what are we going to do about this deal, this thing um, for the future, even when we're solving problems. It's okay if they sort of flow together, but it really helps to separate them and to, uh, in your own mind, or at least distinguish them. Because if uh, you think you're sharing your feelings and then the other person starts intrusively trying to solve your problem, that's kind of aggravating. Flip the other way, if you're just trying to pin down, Hey, are we going to get paper grocery bags or plastic grocery bags? Or what should we do here about this cluttered, you know, drawer in the kitchen or whatever it might be? And then the other person starts spinning out into their whole experience and their childhood and their recent therapy. It's really rattling. So it just helps to identify which one we're doing. Generally, I believe in starting with experience talk. Uh, or a different way of putting that, kind of as a saying that I adopted actually when you were really young, was start by joining. Start by joining. Mm -hmm. Uh, Problem-solving talk tends to be more distanced and uh, has more of an objective quality to it, sort of impersonal. Sharing experience talk is more connecting. And I actually had a funny experience at a board meeting one time. Um, I had just come onto this Board and I arrived on time. There was the agenda. I was really prepared. I'm ready to move through this business meeting here on a board. I was really honored to be part of it. And I I came to the meeting and everybody else there was just relaxing and having coffee, and there were donuts and chatting about their grandchildren. I started getting more and more impatient and frustrated. 10, 20 minutes went by. Finally, the president of the board said, okay, let's let's really dive in now. And then, boom, they moved through the business items just like that, like a knife through butter. And I thought about mm. other meetings I'd been in where there would have been a lot of wrangling, posturing, sort of power moves, status moves in the meeting. And all that had been cleared away because the people had really established this context or foundation of being joined with each other at a human level. Mm. So that's that's my role and in, in, in interpersonal or. In intimate relationships, family relationships, romantic relationships, I find often that if there's a problem on the table of some kind, maybe a misunderstanding, an upset, a disagreement, a disappointment, let's say, if you start by joining and really just do joining, often when you're done joining, there's no problem to solve anymore. It just sort of got solved through the process of joining because the real deep problem was the lack of joining and the lack of feeling cared about by the other person or or that you're on the same page together or that you really, really matter to them. So if you do the joining way of, of relating to each other rather than problem solving, often that addresses the deep roots of the problem,
0: okay? I think that's a great point, absolutely. And sort of a version of that, which is maybe the most simplistic version of uh, starting by joining, which, by the way, has been a wonderful piece of advice for me in my own life. It's something that yeah. I've completely taken away and um, I've seen, you know, real results from at many, many different occasions where you're entering into something challenging and somebody brings something to you and you begin by by starting with, you know, wow, I didn't know that was your experience. That must have been really unpleasant. And I'm really yeah. sorry that, you know, whatever part I had to play in that, we can we can sort of debate or talk about. But I'm really sorry that you felt that way. And yeah. just beginning with that, I think, is a is a wonderful um, way to frame the context of a conversation with somebody else. So yeah. anyways, sort of the simplest possible version of starting by joining is to use I statements and speak for yourself. Yeah. If you kind of think about it, any framework of a sentence that includes I feel is very, very different from a framework of a sentence that includes you should.
1: Yeah, but and what if, if it's I feel sh- you are a jerk?
0: Sure, exactly. I I feel you are making my life horrible and you're a pain and so on and so forth. Okay, well, that's probably let's avoid those. But generally speaking, if you lead with I feel instead of you should, you're going to see a very different result. from Yeah, that that's exactly right. You're and totally right. And look. Yeah, in in our next podcast episode, we're going to talk about asserting yourself effectively, Mm -hmm. which I suppose if you want to kind of think about this is a little bit more of the you should category of statements. So there is certainly a place for that inside of a a relationship. We need to be able to say the things that we really need from somebody else. But even then, I think that there are ways to approach it more from an I experiential context that'll kind of increase your likelihood of success with another person. Mm,
1: Totally true. Yeah, that's great for us, I statements. And that's part of, I guess, my third suggestion, which is what could be called, quote unquote, wise speech. And wise speech sounds sort of lofty and fancy, but it just means skillful speech, really, that produces a good result. And I think it's helpful for people to have in their own mind. What are the attributes of speech, of communication? And I would include nonverbal communication here as well. Your body language, your gestures, your facial expressions. What are the attributes of, let's say, communication that are wise? And here, as with many things, if everything's going fine, all right, you don't need to get into the details. On the other hand, if everything isn't going fine necessarily, or if you want to have a way to uh specify for the other person what your requests are, the kind of wise uh communication you are requesting, you are wanting from them, then it's helpful to know, all right, what are its what are its attributes? And this is where, I guess because I'm a checklist kind of guy, but I draw on the, the Buddhist, frankly, uh sort of six attributes of what is wise speech. And I've gotten a lot of value mm. from this myself. Uh, I'll just run through them quickly here. Five are uh, necessary uh, descriptors of speech that is wise, uh, and one is desirable but optional. So first, it's well-intended. It's it's aimed at a beneficial result. You're not there to tear down. You're there to to build up. You're communicating in good faith, not bad faith. Fundamentally, are your intentions for them and for yourself well-intended, benevolent in a deep sense, okay? That's the intention. Second, in terms of the actual effects, are the effects beneficial? Is what is being said, the words that are chosen, the tone around them, the nonverbal communication, does it actually have a beneficial result? That's the second criterion. Third, is it true? Uh, Are you using words that are actually accurate rather than Overstating things or minimizing things, you know, you always, you never, uh, are are you accurate in your descriptions? Is it true? That's the Mm -hmm. third criterion. Mm -hmm. The fourth criterion is that it's timely. And this means that we're choosing times or situations that actually are appropriate for what we want to talk about. For example, we're not doing hit and run ambushes when someone is just walking out the door or in front of other people for some kind of embarrassing effect, that it's, that it's actually timely, or there's enough time to really get into it. Uh, if you don't have time to talk about something, and then suddenly you're dropping some huge issue on the table, that's, that's not skillful. Right? That's the fourth criterion. The fifth criterion is where a lot of trouble erupts, which has to do with tone, not harsh tone. And what is harsh tone? So, of course, harsh depends mm-hmm. on uh, the people involved and in the culture they came from, their family background. So I'm, I think it's important mm-hmm. to have a kind of, you know, room to breathe here. That said, we know the tone that is landing on other people in ways that feel mean or contemptuous. And being really careful about tone. Tone, is uh, extremely memorable interpersonally. If, if, we, if you think back on an interaction with, a, with another person, uh, we tend to not remember the specific words they used, but boy, do we feel the vibe. Uh, I think Maya Angelou said something like, uh, people will forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel good or bad. Mm, And so mm -hmm. tone is a really, really useful thing to pay attention to. So those are the five that are necessary criteria for, in that tradition, speech that is wise. In other words, speech that is well-intended, useful, actually, accurate, timely, and with appropriate tone. And then there's the sixth criterion that is desirable, but ultimately optional. And that is speech which is wanted. And there's a place, I think, for appreciating that sometimes other people just don't want our infinite wisdom. I have to really watch out for that myself Mm -hmm. because, you know, I I make a living in a certain way sometimes offering my wisdom. So I have to be really a little careful about, uh, do people really want to hear that right now? Really? And do people really want advice? Unwanted advice. So there's a place for taking into account what the other person really wants. That said, ultimately, this is not about muzzling yourself or walking on eggshells if there really is something important for you to say. And I think about teachers of of mine in, in my life today who were very measured, careful people, and yet still there were moments where they were prepared to tell me something that they knew would make me uncomfortable. Uh, but they were not going to be constrained in their beneficial role with me by my own inner, my own discomfort. They were prepared to actually be willing to make me uncomfortable for the sake of the greater good, including uh, potentially their own part of the greater good.
0: That's a really wonderful checklist Mm -hmm. to kind of roll on through um, as you're checking in with yourself in a relationship. And it really helps kind of whatever communication you may give from the heart. Land with the other person to kind of give that a quick rundown real quick of those mm-hmm. different uh, six elements that you named to put sort of simplistic summary names onto them, you want to make sure to the extent possible that your speech is well intended, that your goal is to help and not hurt the other person, that it's true, that you're saying maybe not everything that you have to say, but whatever you're saying is accurate and honest, mm-hmm. that the speech is beneficial. It's enjoyable or useful to others, or it's enjoyable or useful to you in some way, or hopefully to both, Uh, that it comes when it's appropriate, it's timely in nature. Then you spoke about tone for a second, that the speech not be harsh, you know, you might be like firm or passionate, but you're not being mean, you're not being belittling or abusive. And then finally, that idea of wanted speech, um, where you have to kind of manage your own wants with the wants of the other person. And I, I think that's a really great checklist. Yep. Me too.
1: And as I've said earlier, mm-hmm. uh, it's a way to ask for communication from the other person, or, or in a sense, establish this as the ground rules, that we agree that this mm. is how we're going to aspire to speaking. We know that we're not going to always be perfect, but if we discover we've strayed from uh, these criteria, we're willing to recognize that and cop to it and take responsibility for it and whoop, get back onto the high road.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something else that supports us in doing that, Uh, particularly that bit at the end about kind of deciding whether or not the speech is wanted or appropriate in the moment, is to practice the skills related to empathy that we learned in the uh, strength of intimacy. When you're going through this, particularly when you're bringing a critique to somebody else, you just want to make sure that you're holding other people in your heart. It's really easy to get kind of caught up inside of our own viewpoint, particularly when we're irritated and to lose track of the ways in which other people are people with their own narratives inside, their own priorities and their own hot buttons. Mm. Uh, The actions of other people are influenced by all sorts of different factors. It's honestly been kind of eye-opening to me Mm. when I moved from a framework of assuming that somebody did something because of me to assuming that somebody did something because of the things that were happening in their life, which include me. And I think that kind of paradigm shift from total eye-centricness to kind of a broader perspective of all the causes and conditions that generate somebody else's actions is just a huge game-changer for um, your relationships with other people and has certainly been a game-changer for me.
1: Man, for us, I think that's one of the wisest things I've ever heard you say, or frankly, anyone else. And <laughs> you we'll could underline that uh, with big, bright lines <laughs> and uh, look at it every day. We all could look at that every day and be benefited by it.
0: Mm, yeah, well, thank you. And I just think that's a, that's a huge part of the whole thing. Yeah. So we've dropped a lot of Content in this uh, in this episode so far, so I think it makes sense for us to kind of move towards a close. Is mm-hmm. there anything else that you would like to recommend, just kind of as a final thought when you're speaking from the heart with somebody else?
1: Yeah, if I could, I want to name two things here. The first is mm-hmm. what's called nonviolent communication from Marshall Rosenberg, often described in the just with the acronym NVC. I encourage people to check it out. There's a whole approach there. There's a lot of detail. The essence of it is really, really simple. And I apologize in advance to true practitioners of NVC in my summary simplification here. But the essence is simply that it's a way of speaking that says, when X happened or happens, I feel Y because I need Z. That's the essence of it. And Mm -hmm. X is described accurately, which would be consistent with that criterion from Y speech in Buddhism, that what you say is true. And it's described relatively neutrally, much as an uh, an independent observer would see it. In other words, when uh, you interrupt me four times in three minutes, or when you criticize my parenting in front of the children, then you get into what I feel and it's really important as you said earlier to shift out of you should to i feel uh, so this is the why i feel sad i feel hurt i feel angry i feel frustrated it's vulnerable it's authentic mm-hmm. it's real it's your your experience and then z is because deep down i have a need like you common humanity i have a need to feel respected in my important relationships i have a need to feel safe that. That what i understand will happen that is protective and reliable actually does happen and people Mm -hmm. sometimes can get a little in my view too precise or too precious about what properly fits into these various categories real relationships are inherently kind of messy and fuzzy and it's basically okay but this formula when x happens i feel y because i need z is really really useful especially when the wheels start to come off if everything's going fine It's okay to be sloppy, but if it starts to get a little weird, and I've done this myself, uh, come back to that pure form, and it will really tend to reduce the likelihood of an upset. And also, really important point here, it will give other people fewer distracting things they can focus on deliberately or accidentally, functionally, as a way to avoid dealing with the essence of what you're really bringing to them. You know, if we ourselves move outside the lines, uh, that then gives other people great opportunities to just sort of move away from or ignore uh, or or change the subject away from the really important thing we're trying to bring up. So if we are ourselves uh, blameless, if we are ourselves unimpeachable, then they've got to face things much more likely. So that's an, that's another major reason for using NVC. So I would say that. And then if I could have a last word here. Mm-hmm. It's really funny, I I, I think back I to formative experiences in my childhood, and one of them was reading comic books, including people walking down a street or people saying things. So you see the little balloon over the person for the words, but then you'd see this fuzzy cloud-like image for what they were really thinking. And I think that it would be so remarkable to imagine that as we walk down the street uh, or uh, imagine interactions with other people, that we would be able to see the thought balloon, right? <laughs> you know, what they're really thinking. Of course, then they could maybe see ours, and that would be horrifying. But if you think about it, other people, especially when the stakes are getting significant and real, they have thought balloons. And in their thought balloons over their head uh, often are really, really important soulful questions. Questions like, do you actually respect me? Or questions like, "Am I? Do I? Re- do mm. I really matter to you? Or are you just faking mm-hmm. it? Can I count on you again? Are you going to push me around? What are your real intentions here? Are you open to my pain? Are you prepared to actually feel it empathically for a moment or two? Are you for me or against me? Do you love me? And I think it's haunting and powerful and profound to be receptive to and attentive to." these questions uh, in the minds of others. And very often what really is going on is that what looks like uh, issue X is really issue Y. In other words, what looks ostensibly like some kind of argument about uh, arriving for lunch on time at a deeper level has to do with much more important uh, issues related to, let's say, uh, whether you uh, actually matter to the other person or whether they are really prepared to to value the relationship with you and the more that we can get at the deeper questions in other people and answer them and resolve them and put them make them explicit rather than up there in the thought balloons the better things are going to tend to go and also mm. in our interactions with other people we have our own thought balloons so here too one of the values in speaking from the heart is we help other people uh, not have misunderstandings or misconceptions about our thought balloons and the deep questions we have, and we can help them understand us more fully. So then, in addition to the benefits for us in understanding us more fully, they become more willing to be understood fully themselves, which really increases the odds of the good interactions that build good relationships.
0: Yeah, I think that's really wonderfully said, and that's a great note to end this episode on. So today we spoke about speaking from the heart and talked about uh, why it's such an important skill for healthy relationships, building those positive interactions over time. We began with some of the challenges and benefits that come from speaking from the heart before moving into sort of the three big categories of risks that happen when we speak from the heart. Uh, The first one being emotionally emotional vulnerability the second being harms that might come to the relationship, the idea of quote-unquote just making things worse, and the third being different kinds of physical or interpersonal danger. We then explored various ways to speak from the heart effectively, both before and during a conversation. Before the conversation, the idea of talking about talking and knowing your individual truth, before entering a potentially contentious interaction with another person. Then in the moment of that interaction, you spoke about practicing wise speech. You gave your checklist for the uh, speech that is wise inside of your checklist for the interaction as a whole. So we've got checklists inside of checklists here, which is great. Then the idea of speaking for yourself and using I statements, and a version of that being nonviolent communication, which is this structure of when X happens, I feel Y because I need Z. Then finally, you closed with, I think, the really wonderful thought of respecting the questions of others. Those core thought balloons that appear above our head whenever we're in interaction with other people. And the more that we can do to give warm and supportive answers to those questions, the likelier it is that our interaction will go well. So that's it for today's episode on Speaking from the Heart. If you enjoyed this episode, We'd appreciate it if you would leave a rating and subscribe to the podcast through the platform of your choice. Uh, It helps other people find it. And we really do appreciate it. We hope you'll join us again next week when we'll continue the strength of courage by learning how to assert ourselves effectively. Until then, thanks for listening.